Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Mustangs, America's Wild Horses, takes audiences on an odyssey throughout America to places few people have seen or even know about. There are more than 80,000 wild horses on public lands and more than 50,000 in government corrals. The Mustangs also shines a spotlight on the work of Operation Wild Horse, an organization that pairs Mustangs and veterans with PTSD. This is an amazing documentary film about Mustangs, but also about American values, the way that we see ourselves, and the importance of our relationship to nature. We're joined today by the co-directors of the film, The Mustangs, America's Wild Horses, and that would be Stephen Latham and Conrad Stanley. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Mike. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, as I shared with you before we started, uh, I have a family connection to horses um, that has bonded me as a um, as as sort of a, a bystander because I've seen the impact it's had on on my sister, and it's hard not to be around horses and understand this kind of ancient connection that we have. When you think about the development of human beings and civilization inexorably tied to our development and our ability to move forward as, as a species has been be- in large part because of our relationship to horses. So this, this is a film for people who, when they see it, you're going to feel a very strong connection to it because I, I believe that this connection with horses is, is in our DNA. So I'm going to ask you, Conrad, how did you become part of this project? Well, I've been working with Stephen now almost 20 years. Uh, we've been doing uh, several series. We did on PBS, we do a series called Shelter Me, which is all about uh, stories of, of animal shelters and, and, and animals helping humans, humans helping animals. And, and we've done 14 episodes to date of that. And it's, that's, we've done a lot of great storytelling. So horses really became an extension of that. You know, we've always been doing dogs and cats and smaller animals. And when we came onto this issue and realized that uh, there's these much larger animals, like like uh, Stephen said earlier, that we you know most people don't even know that there's that they exist, and not only do they exist, but that there's so many wild horses out there, and it, it is a crisis in this country right now. So uh, this really kind of came about as a way of us putting this information out there and informing the public of of something that they should know about. These these are. America's horses. You know, we, we own these horses. If you're a taxpayer, you own a horse. And it's it's a wild horse living out on, on government land. How did this strike you? Is this somebody approached you or is this something that you decided that you wanted to embark upon as a project? Uh, you know, what was the genesis of that? As Conrad was saying about the Shelter Me series, we, we focus on the, the human-animal bond and that relationship that is so healing for both. And we've done stories about, you know, criminal justice reform and animals helping people with Alzheimer's and really these larger social issues. And we've tackled um, veterans issues with PTSD. So we were told about this group um, actually in Southern California um, that is a veterans organization that works with wild horses. And Conrad and I were like, 
that's unique. We don't know about that. <laughs> so we spent time with this organization to get exposed to the world of wild horses. And that was our start. Now, that wasn't the group that we ended up putting in the film, but it was the spark of opening a door for us to learn about the plight of wild horses. The reason why I really feel like our team was the right team to tell the story is we did not have an agenda. We didn't have any preconceived notions. We had to learn about the history of wild horses, the people that are doing something about it, you know, what the current situation is, what does the future hold for this? So all of the, the introduction to this one group in Idlewild is opened up this universe to us, which was this incredible story about wild horses. And the one thing that we realized by making this film is just because something's out of sight or out of mind does not make it less important. If, if anything, it makes it more important because decisions are being made right now that are going to impact the future of wild horses in this country. And we better use our voices to, um, to care about the things that need protection or they will be gone before you know it. What is a Mustang? What is, is a, is a wild horse a Mustang or is a Mustang always a wild horse? What's the sort of the definition of a Mustang? Yeah. You know, so it, it's a, it's a topic that has, there's a lot of minefields in wild, the wild horse world. And for instance, you know, there's, you know, we can talk about this a little bit further, but you know, you have other interests, you have like the livestock industry and you have cattle and sheep that are on, you know, our public lands. But one of the things that you'll notice is that words matter when it comes to wild horses and people will, that will start using the word feral. Oh, they're non-native. They're not, they're not from here. And they want to, they want to use those terms so they can adjust public policy towards it, which is actually really unfair because, you know, we, we really show about the history of the wild horse and, um, and their story really did start in North America millions of years ago. It was almost the Mustang starting in the 1500s when the Spaniards brought them over. The current incarnation of the Mustang is a mixture of the Spanish wild horses. It's a mixture of domestic horses that got loose during trading between people in the West and Native Americans. And the current, the way we refer to as a Mustang is really a general term that is a combination of all of these horses that sort of intermingled. Now there are genetic variations in different parts of the country about wild horses, but essentially you can use it interchangeably as a wild horse is a Mustang and a Mustang is a wild horse. But the, the current version is the federal act refers to it as a wild horse. The, okay. There's a federal act that was passed in 1971. And that's the other irony is when people call them ferals, it's in federal law that they're referred to as, you know, wild horses. Yeah. And the wild horse is an animal that is completely self-sufficient. These are animals, as we discovered when we went out to Wyoming and Colorado and uh, parts of Nevada, that out on the public BLM lands, these are animals that uh, survive 100 degree plus summers with very little water, very little vegetation. And conversely, they, they survive 20, 30 below degree winters. In, in, up in Wyoming, there's a, there's a herd that we, we visited you know, the, the folks that kind of folk go up there and document them and, and do the darting, they, they do a fertility darting and keep track of this herd. Uh, they say, well, come October in the, in the snows, we can't even get in there. We can't get in there with four wheel drives. We say goodbye to the horses and then we come back in March and all those months, those animals don't have shelter. They have nothing. And yet they persist, they survive and um, they belong. They, 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 you know, it's, it's debatable. Like Stephen said, it's debatable whether they 
were indigenous from 5,000 years ago or whether they were brought in by the Spanish. But as of these last several hundred years, these are animals that have lived on this land and, and have survived. And very tenacious. Conrad, about how many wild horses are we talking about currently roaming around American federal land, I guess, the federal? Yeah, you have to break it down because then there's also state land, there's private land. But on horses that are living, wild horses, mustangs that are living on federal rent land, that number, since when we began this series, when we began the documentary and now, I think when we began, Stephen, they were talking numbers around 80,000 right. wild horses. Now, in the last, this is now two and a half, three years later, we're up to 90, 95,000, I believe. So it's, it's the, the population is, is constantly imp, you know, increasing. And that, that is the crisis that, that, that uh, is being uh, trying and needs to be addressed right now. There's so many different aspects that you introduce into this documentary film called The Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. And one of them, and maybe the most important thing is the management of the size of the, uh, or the amount of wild horses that are roaming around. And Stephen, let's talk a little bit about some of, first of all, the um, Bureau of Land Management and kind of their role in all of this, but without giving away too much and without drilling down too far into this, because we could spend an hour talking just about that aspect of it. But let's kind of give an overview of who manages these wild horses. This, this film that we made and we try to pack a lot in 90 minutes is to take people on this journey and make this an American adventure. Um, but what you quickly learn is it's a really, it's a story of in the last 50 years, a story of mismanagement. We have mismanaged the wild horse and um, it, it's really a tragedy because, you know, the one thing that you do realize is that, you know, these horses deserve better. And as Conrad had mentioned, they, they have a rightful place on our land. You could make the case that they should be our national animal versus the bald eagle. The, the Mustang represents a lot of the American traits and they're, they're tough son of a guns. Um, but they're managed, and this is part of the problem. It's a bureaucracy. So you, you have, first of all, you have the Department of Interior up here, huge government agency. Then underneath that, you have the Bureau of Land Management. Um, and they're responsible for managing our public lands, 260 million acres that they're, they're managing, but only about 11% of that is where the wild horses live on 10 Western states. So underneath that, you have then the small program a group called the Wild Horse and Borough Program, which is underneath the Bureau of Land Management. So you can already see the, the problem with the bureaucracy that it's much easier to do things the way they've always been done than to try to rock the boat. Um, there's well-intentioned people um, within government, but there's also a lot of interests involved. And so what you have is, and this is gonna sound insane, but it's true. Our, the policy right now is to allow the wild horses to you know, expand, breed, and because they don't have any natural predators, then what we do is, we bring in the helicopters and we round them up and we put them into short-term and long-term holding corrals. So these once majestic animals who lived on the plains and lived on the range are now in these dusty corrals. And we do show some of the programs that are helping that with fertility control, but it's not being used at a scale large enough. So we still have a situation as we speak, the largest roundup in the history of America is happening in Wyoming. Um, they are the Bureau of Land Management is rounding up about 37 
hundred wild horses, almost 70% of the population in Wyoming of wild horses. When we say that there's 90,000 currently on the range and there's 50,000 that are in corrals, it's not just that, oh, there's a lot of wild horses. This is tied to climate change and a mega drought that's happening in the West, in these 10 Western states. If we didn't have that problem and we had plenty of forage, food, and plenty of water, there's plenty of land for these animals to exist. The problem is it's a much more complex situation than just, oh, there's only X amount of animals and there's not enough water. The, the drought is real. But the other problem in the bureaucracy, which is why we wanted to raise awareness of this issue is the Bureau of Land Management is responsible for, they call it mixed use on public lands. They have to manage livestock. They have to manage recreation. They have to manage hunting, mineral rights, oil drilling. So what, where's that list of things that don't make money? The wild horse is down here. Um, so, you know, and again, it's unfortunate because um, the wild horse as you, Mike, you've said it so well, this relationship we have with the horse, the country was built on the backs of horses. Not only are they, you know, have been there for us hand and hoof over the centuries to really, you know, be our partners, but the wild horse in particular represents so much and they have a rightful place on the land. And, and right now, government decisions are being based on something we talk about in the film called AML, yeah. which is appropriate management level. It was a number that they grabbed out of the sky in the 70s. And we're still using that number. So of those 90,000 that Conrad and I have been talking about, the government wants to bring that number down to 26,500 before they start implementing fertility control on a large scale. So it's it's literally illogical. Now, we in the film, we, we're, we're really, really balanced. We don't go after the Bureau of Land Management. We're just showing the current situation. But it really is the policy. I've been talking to people recently. They want to take as many horses off the land to get down to that number before they start putting in fertility control. So we're back in the, the issue of inertia, of government really not wanting to put any programs into place. They're always kicking the problem down the road. So if anything, this film is more timely than ever because we need people to care about this issue and we need people to talk to their elected officials about why this issue matters and activate it a little bit more, which is government oversight. Government Congress has the ability to give oversight over the Bureau of Land Management and hold them accountable. Right now, it's operating as an agency that's making unilateral decisions, um, and Congress just needs to get involved a whole lot more. It's a serious issue. It's a really serious issue. It is, and you do dive into it, and you do, as you just, as you said, you present all of these different, there are so many different aspects to wild horses, and it, our relationship to, to them and their relationship to us in the film. Uh, but, but we don't have a whole lot of more time to talk about this, but I'd be remiss if we didn't bring into the conversation Vilma Wild Horse Annie. We wouldn't be here, even as, as sort of tortured as this relationship, as this situation is. Thankfully, there was a woman who took it upon herself, literally talk about being American. This is a woman who is about the quintessential American. Let's talk, uh, Conrad, let's talk a little bit about Vilma and what happened, what she did. Yeah, I like the way um, our, our host, um, Dave Phillips, who uh, wrote the book about the Mustangs, uh, he introduced, he goes, a, a chain smoking secretary from Reno. But she was, um, she was a pistol and she saw a need. She had a love for horses. She grew up with horses in, there in, in Nevada, in, in northern Nevada, Reno. And again, in the early in the early 50s, uh, saw firsthand um, the suffering 
that these animals were going through as at a time when they, their populations were just being decimated. They were not even being used for meat at that point. They were just being sent to fertilizer factories. You know, she looked and saw that these, these beautiful animals were uh, literally becoming extinct and then just rolled up her sleeves and, you know, showed, showed what can still be done in America uh, when, when people stand up and, and, and demand a change. And she not only got people behind her, she, uh, she engaged the children, which we address in the film, which I, I, I love that part of the story. And it was, that was very authentic because she realized, you know, who's going who's gonna to say no to a kid, you know? And uh, she knew there was some power there. She was a very smart lady. And she got the kids involved and she started this grassroots movement, you know, and the Children's March on Washington. You see in the film, they all they, there was a whole group of them that, that went to the, the, the testimonies in Washington and they made those legislators sit up and listen. And again, with those kids sitting there, those guys were like, you know, ordinarily they might have just let that thing slide through and, and, and not, you know, make attention. But with the focus and the attention that uh, Velma and those children brought. Um, it really forced the issue and, 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 and brought them the results. And got them the 1971 In 1971, act. yep. Yeah, absolutely. In 1900, there were 2 million wild horses on the range. And when Velma got involved, there were, there were under 20,000. You know, we are, we're really, really good at killing things. And we're also really good at, you know, having reverence for symbols without necessarily doing the hard work to protect things. It's like people who say support our troops and they put a bumper sticker on their car and they're like, I, I did, I did all the work I need to do. <laughs> right. Oh right. no, you, you need to do a whole lot more to help our veterans, right? You need to donate. You need to maybe spend time with them. You need to check in on them. There's a lot of things we can do instead of just calling somebody a hero to help them. And we address that in our veteran segment, but the wild horse is one of those things that, you know, we love to talk about what they represent, but we almost took them to the point of extinction. And Wild Horse Annie, she single-handedly brought this issue, you know, to the country and said, we, we got to stop this, this killing. And it's a, it's a message for today because she, she truly is um, a hero to the wild horses. We found this archival footage, you know, uh, Conrad's the editor as well on this film. And we found this footage and we brought her to life. We went into the archives in ABC and NBC, and this footage had never been requested since the hearing in 1971. So we literally brought this person to life. I'm in touch with her family members and I showed them an early version. They were just in tears. They're like, you brought Velma Johnston, our aunt, back to life. And um, it's a what really was, yeah, amazing. What was fun about that was, um, like Stephen said, it was a process where in the early cut, we really just had our host, Dave Phillips, talking. He, he told the story and he told it beautifully. He's a, he's, a, he's a master storyteller. But it was all from his perspective, his narrative. And as we started doing our research, suddenly we'd get a little sound bite of, of a speech that Velma made. We had a, just an audio recording. Then we found a, a film clip of her saying something. And then, of course, when we came across the, uh, the, the Senate testimonies, she became very real. And it was really uh, it was inspiring and it was exciting to bring her back, as, as Stephen said, to bring her kind of back to life. And here's somebody that no, no one's ever heard of Velma Johnson, not, not in these times. Yet now. She's very much back with us and setting a, an, an incredible example for the times we live in. You know, that there, there is still a place to um, have your voice heard yeah. and affect well, change. My two cents is there's a film in her. You know, that is a story that I mean, you want to talk about sort of an American hero that we, not, we are not familiar with. We don't know. 
uh, I honestly think that there's there's a there's a narrative film in her life. And Stephen, you talked about you know our propensity for killing off things. I'm reminded of you know the uh, what eventually led to the death of so many hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of Native Americans was when and what really precipitated their demise in that regard was that the American government policy to slaughter the buffalo because the relationship between the buffalo and the Native Americans was so strong and such an integral part of their society and their lives. Killing the buffaloes killed them off because they had they, they, their means of survival, their means of being able to sustain themselves was gone. So I, I, this relationship is very, very, very important. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, one thing about, you know, the wild horses, when you, even if you just take their story back to the 1500s, to when, you know, the, the conquistadors brought, brought over, you know, the, the Spanish Mustangs. And, and that, there's some truth to the modern incarnation that that's sort of the beginning, but it did mix with Native American horses. I mean, Native Americans were expert riders. I mean, they were experts in lots of things. What you're reminded, which is so easily forgotten, you know, in, in today's world, when Conrad and I were out in some of these places where there's no roads and no wires, you're on you're on land with these wild horses that connect us this to our collective past. Yeah. You know, this is this is a time that things that hadn't changed for hundreds, if not you know, thousands of years. And we're out there. And you know, you if you live in an urban area or whatever, you're completely disconnected from that. And the Native Americans, you know, with the with the buffalo and the bison, look at how we again um, glorify Buffalo Bill. There's stories of taking the train out west and just doing target practice on the buffalo and the bison for the sake of killing them. Well, there was there was something behind that. There was something behind it. I I read recently, fairly recently, that they estimate somewhere between 50 and 60 million buffalo were killed over this period of time. So but also there's no question that there was a policy behind that. There's no question. But the idea, though, the connection to the Mustangs is. Before there was a federal act, people were killing them for fun, and and they were abusing these animals unbelievably. When we didn't have a use for horses, we well let's turn them into dog food, let's turn them into fertilizer. And again, it's it's that whole idea of short term use and abuse. And again, our film talks on this, but we provide hope in this in this film. You know, our whole thing. You know, we do a lot of work on animal issues, and we always want to let people, you know, have a little bit of hope. We never want to beat them down because, but we're we're very authentic in our in our, our storytelling. There is hope in this story, but it's not going to happen automatically. You know, we do need to get involved, just like with Wild Horse Annie, how she got people involved. You know, people just didn't know about this issue. We're never taught about our public lands in school. We're never taught taught about our wild horses in civics class. They never talk about that. So. You know, here's a good opportunity to be reminded that we do have some shared things. We can put politics aside. Trust me, we were filming. We, we were working with lots of people with completely different political views, but it didn't matter because we were focused on the wild horses. And you mentioned something that I think is important. You touched on it. Civics class. Do they even <laughs> teach civics anymore? I mean, honestly, the way our, our government works, the way our society is set up in a way that is democratic and et cetera, et cetera, people have I, I grew up taking civics classes. I don't think they teach it anymore. So part of the part of what 
your film does is raise awareness. At least it puts it out there on the table. And for people who really should be interested, will find this film. I, I have a feeling that given the, the level that I know of personally of commitment to horses that I know within my own family, people will find this film and they will, they will absorb what's in it and, and, and move and move forward with it. I really do believe that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I like to think of this as not just a film about horses, but this is a this is a film about America. There you go. Exactly. Well, the film is The Mustangs, America's Wild Horses. Before I let you go, I do want, I do want to mention your 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 production team, your producers, and some of the people who are involved in this. Uh, executive producer Robert Redford, Patty Scalfa, Springsteen. And um, is there a relationship to Jessica Springsteen or is that just by Jessica is uh, Bruce and Patty's daughter? OK, I had a He's feeling also that... a silver medalist uh, equestrian Olympian yeah. as of last summer. Well, congratulations on the whole thing. You've got Diane Warren involved. You've got Emmy Lou Harris and Willie Nelson and so many others. It is a terrific film. Congratulations. Available on Amazon Prime, Apple there's a whole lot of video platforms. There's a DVD coming out in the first quarter of next year with an additional film re related to your film, another film about the, um, the PTSD side of the story. So many things here. So my congratulations to you, Steve, Stephen Latham and Conrad Stanley for your work. And thank you so much for spending some time with us here on Film School Radio. That was delightful. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.